0: Well, good morning, Village Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the lead pastor at Alliance Bible Church right in Bartlett. And I used to serve on staff. I had the joy of serving on staff at Village Church as the next-gen pastor and then had the joy of moving on to Alliance. But it's a, it's a privilege for me to be back here with you this morning. Uh, kind of funny little thing that's happening right now and uh, could not happen at any other time is the fact that I am currently preaching at two churches at exactly the same time. So uh, so we get to pre-record this for Village Church, but then at the same time, I will be preaching from my kitchen uh, to Alliance Bible Church. And so anyway, it's just really interesting, this weird, crazy season that we're in. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up to Exodus chapter 9, and we will be in verse 13. And as you're opening up there, I want to talk to you about a concept. I want to talk to you about moments when God brings you face to face with himself. I share with you a couple of stories. Actually, the first story is about John Tuck. Maybe some of you know him. He is our first impressions director here at Village Church. And he actually, oftentimes on a Sunday morning when we're physically gathered together, he would be right over my shoulder here in the cafe. And so uh, i tell you a little story about John. John, when he was just, he had just been baptized at Village Church and he went on a Village Church men's retreat. And while he was on that men's retreat, he actually... Uh, a couple of guys said, hey, John, like, why don't you jump from up high over something and uh, you'll be able to do it. It'll be fine. No problem. But it turns out like his body actually wasn't prepared to handle that. And uh, he fell down and broke his ankle. And the interesting thing is, is when that happened, like after he'd just been baptized, he, he's brought kind of to this place where he can't go to work uh, and, and he decides to actually like dig in with God. He decides to go and finish his bachelor's at Moody Bible Institute. And then as he's doing that, he, uh, he even digs deeper and, and somebody actually reaches out to him and offers him a job. And, and so like through all of these series of events, like God, John meets God for who he is, like in the breaking of his ankle and having no solutions. And then he digs deeper with God. And then then as that happens, now John today, he's like working with networks of churches to equip leaders. Uh, Today, he is equipping congregations to be financially healthy. He's doing all of this. And it's all because like at this one moment, he breaks his ankle and he meets God for who he is. So I want to talk to you about somebody else, tell you another story. I want to tell you a story about my brother. My brother was in a situation where he was living selfishly. He was in rebellion against the Lord. And, and then as he was in the midst of this rebellion, he started to really sense brokenness. Uh, he started to have a lot of financial struggles. He uh, ended up not having a home. He was at the end of a career that he really thought was going to be it for him. And so when he comes to the end of himself at the same time, me, my dad, my mom were all praying for him that he would come to know the Lord. Lord. And uh, in this process, my dad is having conversations with him and just uh, talking to him about who Jesus is, like begging with him, pleading with him to believe in Jesus, to read his Bible and and these kinds of things. And so in this process, when my brother's brought to the end of himself, he comes face to face with God and he actually ends up turning his life over to the Lord. So this moment of crisis where he meets with God, it actually, it's a, a life changing moment where the trajectory of his life absolutely changes. And there's something about these moments that I want to talk about this morning, because we're actually going to see Pharaoh in one of these moments where he comes face to face with God. And there's great potential in these moments for the trajectory of our lives to change. I want to tell you what scripture shows us about this. These moments where we come face to face with God are incredibly important. Like they have massive implications for, yes, the trajectories of our lives, but also they they sometimes have massive implications even for our eternities with God. And so today, as we dig into Exodus chapter 9, I invite you, we're going to look at the story of Pharaoh and how he responds to God in one of these moments where he's face to face with him. So last week, you all heard from Pastor Michael about COVID-19 encouragements. And uh, you were encouraged to go and watch Pastor Craig from Village Church East as well. He preached on plagues five and six, talking specifically about God's care and concern for his people. If you haven't watched that yet, I encourage you to go to vceast.org and and check out Pastor Craig there. Uh, But today we are on plague seven. And this seventh plague, we actually get to see this really interesting perspective on what genuine repentance looks like. You know what? Uh, We're going to, we're going to discover in this seventh plague, what is kind of the nature of genuine repentance? Like what actually uh, builds up? What is the process that leads to genuine repentance? Uh, We're also going to discover why sometimes something that looks like genuine repentance may not actually be that thing. Before we do any of that, I just like to ask the question, what is repentance? You know, uh, some of you probably have used words like surrender or change or turn, something along those lines to mean repentance. And those all, they all kind of point to the same thing. And so what I want to do before we do anything else today is I actually want to give us a really simple definition of repentance as we get into the passage. Repentance is surrender to God's way over my way. Like if we could put it as simply as possible, repentance is surrender to God's way over my way. So, so this actually comes most often when we have these face-to-face encounters with God, when we see God for who he is. And then as we see him for who he is, we have this unique opportunity to actually respond to him, to surrender to his way over our own way. And so, uh, so what makes for genuine repentance? This is actually the question that I want us to stick with. As we look at this story today, I want us to be digging into this question. I want, to, I want us to have it in the back of our heads. What makes for genuine repentance? We're going to discover that as we look at Exodus chapter 9. Exodus 9, 13 and 14 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him thus says the Lord the God of the Hebrews let my people go that they may serve me for this time i will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth so for what it's worth this is a pretty standard warning this is something that we see in most of the plagues god kind of sets up these plagues to let pharaoh know what's going to come and Then we see something unique in verse 15. Verse 15 says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. The Lord speaks to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, don't miss who I am. Don't miss it. You've seen what I've done up to this point. I've been slaying your gods one by one. I've been knocking them down. I've been showing you my power, my control over the whole universe. Pharaoh, don't miss who I am because I could have turned Egypt to dust in a moment, but I haven't. I'm doing something unique. And let me tell you exactly what it is that I'm doing. Verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God speaks to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, I've been doing all of this for a purpose. I've been orchestrating all of this situation. Your hardened heart, the the way that I've broken down the systems in Egypt, the the way that I've controlled everything, uh, Pharaoh, it's all been for a purpose. I want to make my name great. I want to make sure that you know it, but I want to make sure that the whole world knows it as well. But Pharaoh, let's be clear. You are still lifting yourself up against me. You are still raising yourself up. You're still standing up in pride. And so so there's something going on here, actually, between Pharaoh and Yahweh. And I think it's really important for us to note it. You know what? We could ask the question, who is responsible? Who's responsible for Pharaoh's hard heart? Is it God or is it Pharaoh? You know, this passage right here, verses 16 and 17, they actually like put this right in front of our face. Because in one verse, we see Yahweh say, Pharaoh, I've been doing this for my purposes. And in the very next verse, Yahweh tells Pharaoh, but you are still exalting yourself against me. These two things are juxtaposed against each other. And we're left asking the question, like who is actually responsible for what Pharaoh is doing? Is it Pharaoh or is it Yahweh? You know what? People exist on kind of two sides of the spectrum. You know, some people might be on one extreme of this and might say, you know what? Humans, human beings kind of do everything. They make their choices and God is over there kind of responding to their choices. And then some other people might be on the other side of the spectrum saying, you know what? God does everything. God's doing everything and we kind of don't have any responsibility in the situation. So, uh, people. You know what? People who hold either of these uh, perspectives very staunchly. They they hold them, and uh, you know what? They they fail to kind of hold a certain mystery intention. So so village church, uh, something that you need to get really comfortable with as you read scripture and interact with scripture. I want there's just this concept that I want you to get really really comfortable with. You need to hold this mystery intention. God is king over hearts. God is king over hearts. God is sovereign over hearts. He has power over hearts. He actually is influencing hearts. And at the same time, human beings, we are responsible for our choices. God is king over hearts and human beings are responsible for our choices. And we have to hold both of these things in tension as we read and interact with Scripture. So as we come to this idea, I want you to see what's happening with Pharaoh because God is making this very clear to Pharaoh. God's making it clear to Pharaoh. He's saying, hey, I've orchestrated all of this for my purposes. I could have caused greater devastation in Egypt and I haven't yet. None of what has happened here in Egypt is a surprise to me. And so Pharaoh, I'm going to use all of it to make sure that people hear about me. Pharaoh, I am the I am. I am king, and I'm going to make sure that you understand this about me. And yet, you're still setting yourself up against me. You're still lifting yourself up against me, Pharaoh. And so, so, you know what? God's sovereignty, his power, his rule, these things are all on display here. But as the story continues, we're actually going to see his mercy come to be on display. He's going to show his mercy in three unique ways as we continue on in this passage. Exodus 9, 18 and 19. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore sent. Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. You know, I I want you to notice a few things about this. Specifically, I want you to notice this is is the most destructive plague so far. Like all the plagues up to this point have kind of been minor inconveniences. But now I want you to imagine sheets of hail. And maybe it's golf ball sized hail. Maybe it's softball sized hail. But falling for days. Like what, that, what would that do to our society? How would that affect things in our world? It would be devastating, uh, just the effects that it would have. And that's what's happening in Egypt. It's, it's, it's kind of tearing apart Egypt. And so this is the most destructive plague that we've seen up to this point. And what's amazing is that God offers Pharaoh and his servants, the Egyptians, he offers them a way to be protected. He actually, he says, I'm going to do this, but actually, Pharaoh, if you listen to what I say, there's going to be a way for you to be saved from this plague. And so he goes on, verse 20. This is what it says. It says, then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. You know, God is teaching something about himself to the Egyptians. He's revealing something about himself to the Egyptians. You see, God, the way that he relates to people is he relates through his word. He's letting the Egyptians know, hey, when I give commands, the way that I relate to people is my people respond to me with obedience. So I give a command and you obey. And so Egyptians obey my word. Like if you want to be saved, this is what you do. And he gives them this word, this way that they can be saved. And so so the first way that we see God's mercy on display here is that people get saved because they take Yahweh at his word. That's the first way we see God's mercy on display. So you know what? What's really interesting is that Egypt is full of darkness. It's full of idolatry. It's full of prideful people, people who are oppressing others, people who are obstinate and list, lifting themselves up above other people. And, and the, exe- the example of that is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the one who exemplifies all of this wrongness in Egypt. And yet, Yahweh is still offering them mercy. He's offering these Egyptians a way to be saved. Exodus 9, 25 and 26 the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. You know, we might be inclined to skip over this and, and think nothing, nothing of it, but I want you to really consider this with me for a second. Imagine, get in the mind of an Egyptian. How did an Egyptian think of an Israelite slave? They thought of these people as if they were animals. They, they were subhuman somehow. So, so if this is how the Egyptians thought of the Israelites. And now they see God working on behalf of the Israelites, actually like, actively protecting them. They're asking the question, like, what kind of God protects animals? What kind of God protects beasts, protects people who are subhuman? But yet we see God's mercy on display and God showing something about himself to the Israelites. Yahweh specially protects his slave people. He shows this to the Israelites and he shows it to the Egyptians. He's letting them know. You know what? God has a deep care and concern for those who are oppressed and marginalized. Yahweh's actions in Egypt, what he does here in Egypt for his slave people, they actually become the motivation for his commands to Israel later on in how they care for the oppressed and marginalized. Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 18 says this, It says you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there therefore I command you to do this. The sojourner is the person who has no home. The fatherless is the orphan, the widow. All of these people are called to be cared for. He's calling Israel because you were slaves in Egypt and I saved you. You are to treat the oppressed and marginalized like this. This is how God God's mercy is on display not only to Israel but to Egypt as well. Finally, I want you to read this note about the end of the plague in verse 31. It says the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. The final way that we see God's mercy on display is that that Yahweh saves food for Egypt. Like he 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 could have wiped out all of their crops. He could have demolished their food supply, but but because of the timing of this plague, because of how it's orchestrated, he actually protects some of their food supply. He saves some of the food for the Egyptians. So in all of these ways, we see God's mercy actively on display. You know, Egypt is discovering that this God, who is incredibly powerful, is at the same time incredibly merciful. Merciful. You know what, Pharaoh, he, he's hitting his moment. Like this is the moment where Pharaoh comes face to face with God. He's now actively like discovering this is who God is. He is absolutely all powerful. He is sovereign over hearts. He is sovereign over situations. And at the same time, he is incredibly merciful. He's seeing God for who he is. You know what, church, this is simply just a key way of how our God functions. And I want us to notice it. God is constantly working to reveal his character to broken people. He's doing it all throughout Egypt. He's doing it with Pharaoh. Eventually, he's going to do it in the world that surrounds Egypt, the ancient Near East, all of this place. He's actively working to reveal his character to broken people. So let's consider, what has he actually like revealed to Pharaoh so far? He's revealed to Pharaoh that he has absolute control of events. He actually provides Pharaoh a way out, says, Pharaoh, if you, if you let my people go, you can find a way out of this. He's, he's revealing, actually, how he knows Pharaoh's heart. He knows what's going on inside of him. He's forming a people for himself who actually fear his word he's still providing blessings what the amazing thing is is like you know in the last plague he killed the animals but he didn't kill all the animals in this plague he took out the crops but he didn't take out all of the crops he's still providing for egypt in really tangible ways you know what pharaoh is learning yahweh is incredibly just Yahweh is incredibly powerful. He is in control of so many things and Yahweh at the same time is incredibly full of mercy. So if that's the case, the next step is repentance, right? Like if, if Pharaoh is seeing Yahweh for who he is, then the next logical step would be that he would change that the trajectory would shift And so so this is Pharaoh's moment, right? This is this, this moment where he's meeting with God and he has an opportunity for repentance. So verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Verse 28. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Village Church, don't miss this. Everything that we see right here looks and sounds like repentance. Like Pharaoh, he admits his faults. His confession sounds better, honestly, than most of our confessions sound. Maybe Pharaoh has been broken in some way. Maybe he's actually been softened. And it certainly seems like he's carrying the right kind of attitude here. So don't forget what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we're asking the question, what makes for genuine repentance? And and Yahweh, he shows himself to Pharaoh. He shows him who he is. This moment, he has this encounter with God. And then Pharaoh responds. Like Pharaoh admits his faults. He says, you know what? You were in the right. I was in the wrong. And so here's a question. Is admitting your faults enough? is isn't enough to actually accomplish Repentance. We'll go on in verse 29. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Moses kind of says, hey man, you know what? I'll, I'll pray for you, but, but you need to know, I can tell your heart's not there yet. Like I can tell you're not actually repenting verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the problem, the problem is is that what we heard from Pharaoh actually like sounded like repentance, but at the end of the day there was no fruit. So what happened? Like why didn't his admission of guilt take? And I think the answer lies in his heart. So don't forget, like Pharaoh's heart, it's still hard at this point. He's, you know what? He's willingly actually hardening his heart. This is what we see over and over and over again. And we see Yahweh reinforcing that. So what, what Yahweh sees happening and what Moses, is no, what Moses knows is happening, but what Pharaoh is oblivious to is this, his heart is only getting harder and harder. In fact, I actually want to submit to you that, that Pharaoh has progressed from a hard heart to a dangerous heart. So this is a hard heart. A hard heart is full of pride and obstinance. It says, you know what? I'm not to blame. I'm in the right. I reacted like that because the circumstance demanded it of me. Uh, It's everyone else's fault. I I can't be held responsible for this. And Pharaoh's progressed beyond that. He's actually progressed to a dangerous heart. And a dangerous heart at its core is deceptive. So so was Pharaoh intentionally deceiving here? Actually, I don't think he was. It actually seems that from Pharaoh's perspective, in this moment, he was being genuine. And that's because, you know what, even this, this kind of heart, it is so deceptive. It says stuff like, you know what, I'll admit what I need to admit in order to avoid the consequences. Or I'll change enough just to get them to change. You know, at at the core, a dangerous heart, it's still operating in this kind of transactional relationship with God where you pay a little uh, to, to, to get something back. And so actually, like what we see at the core of this is the most insidious version of pride, which is false humility. False humility is the admission of guilt for the sake of getting something back. And its core motivation is self-preservation. It doesn't actually care for the honor of another, but it's entirely self-focused. And this is really scary because it's so hard to see in ourselves when something like this is happening inside of us. And this is why David prays in Psalm 139. He says, search me. Oh God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, Lord, I can't discern these things about myself. And so I need you to discern them for me. I need you to actually check. I need you to look inside of me because I can't always tell what's going on with my motivations. So this is what we see Pharaoh exhibiting here. His heart is so hardened that he's deceiving himself and he's trying to deceive God. So we have a a hard heart. We have uh, an even harder heart, which, which comes out in deception, this dangerous heart. We could have seen Pharaoh have a soft heart. A soft heart is characterized by surrender. A soft heart quickly asks, how do I need to change? A soft heart it, it humbly accepts whatever consequences might come. A soft heart actually looks at God and says, God, I surrender not just to the circumstances you've created, but I surrender to whatever version of right that you say is right. So, you know, we could have seen a guy who has a soft heart, but instead of seeing that, we see a guy who still has a hard heart. He's still trying to get something from God. He's still trying to manipulate God. He's still engaging in transaction. And his deceptive, dangerous heart is actually, it's going to get exposed the moment that things get better. And so Village Church, what I want us to see this morning is this genuine repentance is measurable. Like you could actually look at repentance and look at what results from repentance and actually say, yes, that repentance was good. That was genuine. And you know what? False repentance is measurable too. Genuine repentance is measurable and so is false repentance. So, so what? I just got one for us this morning. How could Pharaoh's repentance have looked different if it were genuine? How could it have looked different? And then I hope as we talk about this, that we'll actually glean something for ourselves as to what genuine repentance actually looks like. I actually want to consider some steps to genuine repentance. So the first one is this. We need to recognize. We recognize God for who he is. And then we recognize ourselves in light of who he is. We need to see things rightly. And then once we see things rightly, step two is we, we, we confess. We actually admit uh, our, our wrong. We admit God's right. We, we confess all of these things as we see them. Step three, we, we commit. We actually acknowledge that God has a way of doing things. Like that, and that we need to do God's way of doing things. So, so for what it's worth, steps one, two, and three, we all see that, that that's what Pharaoh did. Like Pharaoh engaged in all of these steps. He actually sees God for who he is, although some, would, some might say that he didn't totally see God for who he was. But nonetheless, like he sees God in a way that leads him to make an admission. An admission of fault. An admission that God is good, that God is in the right. And then he moves on from there to actually committing to do something. He's saying, hey, okay, I will let the people go. And all of this way, it's led through. But then he missed. He missed these next parts. Step four is surrender. Step four is, is a willingness to become accountable no matter the cost. Step four is willing to lose something. It's willing to recognize that, hey, I can give something up in this situation. And you know what? Pharaoh never does this. Pharaoh, Pharaoh never actually commits himself to some way of losing things. He never actually engages in some form of accountability. He just kind of says, okay, I'll do it. Which means he's not really interested in doing things God's way. He's just interested in getting what he wants. You know what? Most people, most people don't even step into a relationship with God for this very reason. Because they recognize that God is going to ask them to surrender and give up something that they don't want to surrender and give up. And that's exactly what we see happen with Pharaoh right here. And the crazy thing, the crazy thing is, is that when Pharaoh is trying to hold on to what's his, he actually ends up losing far more in the process when he could have just surrendered. Step five. Step five, look for the long-term fruit. You know what? Pharaoh, we could have have watched Pharaoh. We could have watched Pharaoh actually keep his word, actually carry out repentance and actually see the long-term fruit of his repentance. Bear potentially some fruit for Egypt. Like imagine if Pharaoh turned to Yahweh in repentance, what would that have meant for the land of Egypt? And I think it's the, the, the same case in our lives. You know, If repentance is genuine, if repentance truly is genuine, then it will produce long-term fruit. You can look back in your life over the long haul and actually say, yes, like I saw Yahweh for who he, who he was and, and that caused me to surrender. And in the midst of that surrender, it produced measurable fruit in my life. So you, there might be just an entirely different group of people listening to the, me this morning. You might not be a Christian Christian. You might not even have any concern for God or the things of God. You might have been invited to an online service by somebody and you're just kind of new to this whole thing. And you might have some interest in God, but you might be asking the question right now, how do I know that God is a God I can surrender to? Like, like how you're, you're telling me to surrender. You're telling me to repent and all of these things. And and I don't even know that God is a God that I can surrender to. And so, so I want to suggest to you that you need to see God for who he is. I want to, I want to be in prayer for you that you would see God for who he is. And, and I want to encourage you to seek out God for who he is. You know what? God is powerful. We saw that in the first part of our passage this morning. God is incredibly powerful. He is sovereign over the universe. He controls each piece of, of everything, everything. He allows, ordains, or permits everything that happens in all of creation. And God is He's so strong and powerful. And at the same time, he's incredibly merciful. You know what? That's shown to us no place more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the God who has power over the whole universe sent his only son to bear the weight of our guilt and our sin on the cross and poured out his blood that we might be forgiven. That we could actually have and engage in a relationship with him. So if you're asking the question this morning, how do I know that God is a God I can surrender to? Well, God is a God who, who puts himself on the line for his people. And God is a God who is incredibly powerful. And I'd encourage you to seek after that God because that is a God worth surrendering to. Village Church, my prayer is that this morning we would actually see God for who he is. That we would not be content to make simple admissions or confessions, but that we would be people who actually demonstrate towards God soft hearts, who are quick to surrender to God's ways. And among all of these things, in the midst of all of these things, that we would actually be able to look at and measure the fruit of repentance in our lives. That I could, you know, several years from now, look at the body of Christ here at Village Church in Bartlett and say, yes, like we can measurably look at the fruit of repentance in that body. So as we close this morning, you know what we're going to do? We're going to engage in a, a worship song. And that song is about a God who gives us faith who shows us who he is and by his goodness actually leads us to repentance. So Village Church, I thank you for the privilege to share God's word with you this morning. And let's respond and worship together.